Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you all. Um, good to continue in our series in Luke. I hope you guys have been enjoying I've enjoyed putting it together, uh, and I'm excited. We're about, this is our fourth weekend. If you're uh, bored to death with it, I'll tell you we have a few more weeks. I'm not going to say how many, so I don't uh, give you an exit sign uh, in, in, in the future. Man, there's something about the service today. I don't know. There's just a spirit this morning. Uh, great worship. I really have enjoyed that, and uh, I'm just excited about what God's doing in and through North Point in 2021. Uh, this is going to be a good year. I feel very confident in that and what God's going to do. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, I like, I know you guys like, man, Eric, your sermons are all like the same thing, like a broken record. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a good thing when it goes and goes, right? And so uh, I'm going to kick off just like I do every Sunday because I like the group participation. I like a little bit of dialogue going on. I like uh, some group activity. Uh, and so with the people you're around, you guys online, I want you to do this for me. I want you to talk about what, what is your greatest team accomplishment, something you and a group of people came together, put your mind's effort and work to, and accomplished something that just kind of astounded you or blew you away. What, what is that thing that you said, I remember this thing right here where we did it and just what came of that. So take a second, discuss with the people you're with, you guys online, if you can just type out real quick, what, what is that thing? Uh, and let us know you're here. I know there's a lot of you online that just kind of watch and don't talk. We want to continue to be the church online, so please let us know you're here, and please jump in the group discussion activity. So I'll give you guys just a second for that. Hopefully you have something. If you don't, this is definitely going to be a sermon for you, so I encourage you to listen today to every word I say. Um, hopefully you have something. I, there's a lot that it, it, God has blessed me working with other people's stuff, and I just try to be, think about what, what are some of the greatest team accomplishments. Um, I'll say one thing just to brag on staff th this year in COVID, what, what the staff has come together and do and all the, the shifts and changes, man, that, that has been such a blessing. And so I, I, I've been endeared to our staff and our team is just coming together and uh, figuring out how to come online when we didn't have any kind of service whatsoever and what that looks like. And, man, everyone pitched in and jumped in. And just throughout every wrench that's thrown the plan, they, they constantly jumped to the occasion and went above and beyond to not just say, well, can we just pull off service, but how can we make it the best thing possible? And so that, that's one thing that I've been very impressed with, just to brag on our staff. Uh, if I were to go from a non-spiritual route, it would have to be in 2007, eight. I think I have a picture. Uh, I coached basketball. Uh, it helped was an assistant coach at Liberty Baptist Academy, uh, a private Christian school in uh, Shawnee, Oklahoma. And we had a real ragtag kind of team. We really were not very good. Uh, but somehow we pulled it off and went and won the state championship. It was kind of an amazing thing. And it really just comes down to we had really two basketball players and a bunch of other guys that worked really hard. That's kind of how it came to. And, and they came together and worked together as a team, as a unit. And we won a game literally on a last-second shot. They come down, the guy dribbles and kind of trips over himself, fades away and takes a last-second three as we're down by two. The ball goes in the air, buzzer goes off, hits the back of the rim, shoots 10 feet in the air, comes back, lands on the front of the rim, and sits there for at least an hour and a half. It wasn't that long. But that's how it felt like to me. I'm sitting there like, go, you know, and, 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 and it just rolls in. And I remember jumping up going, yeah, screaming. And I'm like, did that count? Was that good? I was really confused in the split second. And we won the state championship. It was real cool. Um, as a matter of fact, if you go in my office, 
have a state championship ring. And it's not about bragging about look what we've accomplished. It was just watching a group of people come together and when they set their minds to something, what they can accomplish. And I bring that today because as we look at different things with Jesus, how important that is. There's a difference in a kind of joy that comes from your personal accomplishments versus team accomplishments. What you're able to do together, there's something different about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's something about accomplishing stuff on your own and having the bragging rights, the pride of look at what I've done, look what my own two hands, my own mind, my own ability is able to do. But, but the ability to do it with other people, that there's something different that comes with it. There's some sort of endearing like, camaraderie that's built. Like, like we've been through the trenches together. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite uh, TV series is a, a series called Band of Brothers that they had on the History Channel just this past week. And they're talking about these guys who literally have been through the worst thing together. And they come out with this whole different sense of relationship and camaraderie. And like, we, we have done something together that we could have never done on our own. And there's something about this, something powerful about that. And I bring that up because we're going through this series on Jesus and trying to process who is Jesus according to Scripture, according to Luke. Not who we want to make him to be, but who he actually is in Scripture. And today I want to look at a little different uh, angle of exactly what, what, does Jesus, what was Jesus like? like? What does he want of us? Like, if there was something Jesus were here today, what would he come to the church and say, guys, this is what I want you to do. This is what I would desire you to kind of come together and do. And the point I want you to see today in our text we're going to look at is this. Here's our big idea, is that Jesus wants you to participate in his work. There's one thing Jesus knows, and I see all throughout Scripture, and it comes true all throughout from Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels, even through the New Testament and the, the other letters that Paul writes. It's this idea of, listen, my desire is that you would come and actively be a participant in what I'm doing. Not just be a spectator that sits on the sideline and going on the audience going, wow, that's really great, Jesus, look what you're doing. But to be in the action, to be on the court and participate in what's going on. And we're going to look at an example today. You see, the truth about Jesus' mission is this. Jesus' mission work requires teamwork. It requires teamwork. Now, it's not because God needs us, okay? It's not like God needs us and he can't accomplish it without us. God is completely self-sufficient. There's nothing in us that God needs. God didn't create us because he needed beings to worship him. He created us out of the abundance of who he is. As a matter of fact, when he created everything, he's like, man, this is good. And out of his goodness, he's like, I want to share in this goodness. I want to share in this work. I want to share in this creative thing. Out of his love and his, his love and his camaraderie and the Trinity, he wanted to create others to participate in what's going on. This is from the very beginning. See, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants us to participate. Out of his perfect fellowship, out of his complimentary work to the Trinity, God wants us to be a part of what's going on. If you go back to Genesis 3, even the beginning, he creates Adam and Eve, what he says, he gives them work to do. Do you think God couldn't snap his hands and have all the work, be kind of like, you know, the three God fairies and Cinderella just making the broom work and doing all this? Like, God could do that, but God doesn't want that. He wants people to experience the joy, the goodness that comes from his work. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at three different texts that kind of characterize, unpacks Jesus' desire for us to participate in his work. What are the characteristics? So we're going to look at, just to prep you for it, so you don't feel like you're getting bait switched, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Then we're going to go to Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16, and then last, Luke 9. And I promise you, yes, we'll get done today. Don't be like, oh my goodness, we're, we're going to be going until next week. Hopefully not. All right, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says this, it says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him and listened to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 
See, stepping into uh, one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out to where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the, uh, the other boat, and soon both boats were filled in the fish and on the verge of sinking. Can you imagine for a second how much that is? Nets are ripping, boats are literally collapsing under the weight in the water of all the fish going on. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as there were others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Uh, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, real quick, let's unpack some of this. Jesus is making his way past Capernaum. He's going in the region of Galilee. I think we have a map. Galilee is not a, a town. It's a region. It's an area, if you will. Think of Canadian County or something to that nature, if you will. It's an area and a location. And you see up at the top by Capernaum, Jesus is making his round. And he's at a place uh, around the corner, just a little bit north, called uh, Gennesaret. And he's making his way there, and as he's going, he's preaching, and large crowds are following him. And obviously, he didn't have a microphone system like this, and so he has to talk to them. And they're in a place where they have rocky shores and walls that actually make great acoustics areas. And so he finds a boat, and he just commandeers a boat. He tells Peter, he's like, uh, I'm going to use your boat. Would you push out? Jesus is the first pirate I know of. He comes and just takes over a boat and says, Harga, matey, I'm taking this. And he goes out, and he begins preaching. Now, this is great acoustics where across the water he could talk like this, and people in the back all over could hear the words as though he's sitting right next to him because of the acoustics what's going on here. And the whole time he's preaching, imagine Peter sitting at his feet, washing his nets, just kind of eavesdropping, listening to what Jesus is saying, and everything's going on. And after Jesus has preached for a little bit, he says in verse 4 that he looks at Peter and says something. He says, hey, why don't you go out deeper and let down your nets and catch some fish? Now, you have to understand the ask Jesus is making right here. Peter has spent a long night fishing. As a matter of fact, you need to understand the fishing method they used back in this time. Luke actually tells us, he says there's two boats. It actually gives us a picture of what kind of fishing method they had. They would have two boats, and they do what is like a dragnet style. And they would take these boats, and they would literally drag their nets across the bottom of the uh, lake, bottom of the water, and pull up as many fish as they can. And they had these nets that are made of, of linen that would, in daylight, fish would be able to see. So the best time to fish was at night. And it tells us they spent all night fishing to what avail? They caught nothing. And from dragging those nets all day long, they'd pull them up, and at the end of the day, you'd have to wash out those nets because they'd cover with mud, they'd be torn. That was your livelihood, they'd be fixed. He spent all night doing this, and suddenly Jesus comes to him after all this failure, years and years of expertise. Jesus says, hey, bro, I think this is how you should do it. Have you ever had someone that's an amateur in your field try to tell you how to do your job? You ever been in that situation? Okay, I got someone out there, yeah. I'll say as a pastor, no one's ever done that to me. Uh, but as a youth pastor, that, that happened all the time. I'll say, uh, people all the time, hey, Eric, you ever thought about this, you all this? I'm like, oh, thank you from your five minutes of experience in student ministry versus my 15 year going to tell me how to do my job now. And I try to be very kind and courteous, but it'd be very frustrating when someone who knew nothing was suddenly like, you know what you should do is, and, and can you hear the frustration, the bitterness in Peter's voice? Peter doesn't want to disrespect him, but he's like, seriously? Like verse 5, he's like, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Like, I, I don't want to do this, 
But out of respect for you, if you want me to do this, I'll drop the net and I'll go and do this. Now, I understand the ask. Him doing this, they spent all night catching nothing, all day now cleaning the nets so they could go the next day. Jesus is asking him to drop the nets again. What's he going to have to do? Immediately turn around and clean the nets he just got done cleaning for an amateur that knows nothing about his occupation. Do you, do you feel the frustration, the resentment in his voice a little bit? You see, Peter's about to do something that at face value seems absurd, seems foolish. You ever have times in your life like that where Jesus asks you to do something that at face value just seems like, God, I've been to that well over and over and over again. There's nothing there. I'll be honest, when I first came here, I dealt with that. I had a leadership team, youth leadership team. We meet, and they're saying, hey, Eric, have you tried this? And we should do this. And I'm like, guys, listen, I did that year eight of student ministry. It didn't work. Hey, Eric, you should do this. I'm like, listen, I did that year 11. It did not work. I kept going over and over. And finally, I had, uh, he's not here, so I can say it. Sean Fields, who's on the team, a wise man came to me and says, Eric, listen, I know you've tried that over and over, but you haven't tried that here. You've got to give us a shot. And it convicted me. It made me realize, listen, as much as my knowledge, as much as my expertise, there's a point I've got to give another opportunity. Peter's in that same situation. And he casts out his nets, and he drops it in the water. And he does it again. And what happens? He pulls up the catch of a lifetime. In one tug, in one pull by himself, he's got, he got maybe Simon and Andrew with him. He pulls up, and suddenly he catches a fish lot that, that is of a lifetime. This is the fish tale that you would spend forever telling your family and friends. You ever have someone go fishing, come back, like, listen, I caught a fish. I kid you not, it was this big. My fishing pole broke in half. I reeled it around my arms. I jumped in and started noodling it. After, like, I caught the dang bare hand. Like, you're telling that story. This is the actual story that actually took place. His nets are literally ripping from the weight. They're bringing in other people and other people part of this, and the boats are beginning to sink from the weight of what's going on. This is the fishtail of all fishtails. And Peter, in that moment, realizes something. It's funny to me, Peter takes a shot with Jesus and says, listen, I don't think this is going to work, but there's something in him that wants to believe this is true, that wants him to believe that this Messiah might actually be the guy. And Jesus comes through, and in a split second, he realizes he is who he says he is. And, Jesus, and Peter's immediate response is what you see all throughout Scripture when they realize they come face to face with the real God is, I'm not worthy. Like, you, you need to go away. Literally, fear of his life, because if his sin, who he is, man, God, you can never use me, you can never want to be around me, I could literally be struck dead right here, right now. I love that Peter's confession right here becomes his resume for service. He doesn't seem like, listen, Jesus, man, you're obviously who you said you are. I, I could tell you you need someone of my expertise. I'm a little bit of a bullhead, but I'll be the first guy, you know, running to the front lines for you. He immediately is talking about what he can't do and how he's inadequate. I, I love someone once said, admitting his inability and sin is the best, best prerequisite for service. He admits he can't do it. You see, the truth I want you to see with this in verse 10, Jesus comes to him and he's telling him, I can't do this. And Jesus says, listen, don't worry, you're going to start fishing with me, but for a whole different kind of fish. See, I want to activate you in service. You need to understand the truth real quick. Jesus invites us into his work. Jesus doesn't say, listen, I want you to sit here, little kid. I want you to watch what I'm doing. Let daddy do the work, and you can sit there and have fun. And he's like, no, I want you to come be a part of what's going on. Jesus takes ordinary people that have no expertise, no nothing, and brings them in, and he wants us to do this. Why? Because Jesus wants you to participate in his work. It's all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere, Jesus wants you to participate in his work, and he invites you into his work. I love what one commentary said about this. He said, Jesus doesn't depart from, uh, sorry, sorry, Jesus does not reject sinners who feel conviction because of their sin. Instead, he draws them to himself and then sends them out to serve. 
You might be saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever, but listen, that's not the response to have. The, the only immediate response is this, is I'm in. When Jesus comes calling to you, the only appropriate response is I'm in. My, my question to you is when Jesus comes and invites you, are you the person saying I'm in, or do you immediately start making excuses of why I'm not, or why I can't, or why I don't want to? It says these guys immediately gave up their occupations and spent the rest of their life following Jesus. Now, you might look at that and say, well, they're fishermen. They're looking for a better life. In this time and culture, being a fisherman was a great living. If you did well, you could provide for your family. very. Well. This was no mediocre job to live. They left a great opportunity, everything they know, to follow Jesus. The only appropriate response, the application of the sermon over and over again is this. I'm in. That's it. I'm in. Now listen, it doesn't stop there. Let me transition to the next one. Look to Luke chapter 6, another situation. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Jesus invites Simon. And in verse chapter 6, verse 12, we find out he invites more people. It says, one day, in chapter 6, verse 12, one day soon after Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who named Peter, we already met Simon, he was fishing in a boat with Jesus. Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, the sons of Zebedee. Um, they call themselves sons of thunder, too, in case you want to get some people who have a little pride issue, like, who are you? They're like the, oh yeah, we're the sons of thunder right here, you know, they kind of all fool themselves. But you have Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I'll unpack some stuff real quick right here, you see. I love verse 12, as Jesus is going to pick the 12 men that would be his camaraders who would come and help him with him, he chooses 12 men, but before he does that, he goes and prays all night long. What an example Jesus sets that in the midst of big decisions, he doesn't just naturally say, God will bless that, God will make it work. He spends all night communing with God, saying, what do you want me to do? I don't know about you, this morning, I don't, I don't normally do it, I'm just going to confession, but this morning I'm driving here to church, I just, I, by myself, I turn off the radio, I'm just, I just talk to God all the way here, like, God, I need your help. Help me with this. What do I do? And there's something about needing to go to the Lord and say, God, I need you not to bless my, my decisions. I need you to guide my decisions. I need you to tell me exactly what you want to do. And Jesus didn't escape that step. What makes us think that we're going to do it? Because Jesus knows there's a big decision going to be made. And he goes and he chooses 12 men. And that 12 men is not just some odd number. It's a very symbolic number. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God chose 12 tribes of Judah to be a part of this nation, this new nation that would lead out this example, this possible Messiah to come. But Jesus is inaugurating a new nation that's going to come, a new nation that's for all people. And he chooses 12 people to exemplify this new nation that's going to be. And he chooses 12 men, the most diverse groups of men you could ever choose to come together under one unit, under one household. I don't know about you, but if I was choosing 12 men to help me with my mission, I would pick 12 men that I could trust, that were educated, that were trained, that were a little bit like-minded so we didn't have to butt heads so much, that would help me in the effort. But he didn't choose that. He chose 12 men that could not be more different than each other. They were uneducated. They were untrained. John MacArthur actually talks about how diverse these group of men were. He says Matthew and Simon, for example, Simon the Zealot, could not have been more politically farther apart. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. He got rich from going and taxing people above and beyond what they normally had. And so by his success and wealth means he had cheated his own people to, to the degree Everyone looked like, because you have all this stuff, is because you've cheated my people. Can you imagine the frustration he has? He was a tax collector, a traitor. Now Simon, on the other hand, who was a member of the Zealots, was a factional, radical party that was opposed to Rome. 
As a matter of fact, some of them were known as Sakari because they concealed daggers everywhere they carried with them. They were terrorists, to give you an idea. They literally were trying to overthrow Rome, try to raise up a group to overthrow Rome. It would not be unlikely if they found a traitor to take them in an alley and stab them to death to undo them. This is who Jesus chose to be in his party. It would not have been odd at all for us to read a story like one night while the disciples were asleep and Simon went and stabbed Matthew and woke up. I don't know what happened. Like, it's all over. Like, it happened like that. He chooses people from all different backgrounds. You have Peter, who's a hothead who can't keep himself together. You have guys who are fighting about who's going to be the best. You have people from all different cultures and backgrounds going on. And yet, what's the one thing that brings them together? What's the great unifier that puts all that aside? It's Jesus Christ. It's their love and admiration for this new Messiah, this person who's going to inaugurate what's going on. And they don't let these things become an issue to them. And they don't let it divide them. They don't let it stop them. It brings us to a truth I want you to understand real quick is this about Jesus' call. Jesus' invitation is for everyone. I don't know what your upbringing was like. I don't know what you have political view. It does not matter. It does not what your financial, economic, whatever background. It does not believe your thoughts or degrees. Whatever you have, it does not matter. Jesus' invitation is to everyone. If you were living and breathing, God wants you to be a part of his kingdom work. And we sometimes fool ourselves it's only for those people or that person or this type of person or these people who have this kind of views or this kind of understanding. Listen, the church body that functions the best is a church that is diverse, completely different. And the Bible tells us there's nothing that's going to be a greater witness to the world when they come in and see people who sit across from each other and cannot be more different yet love one another. Because there's something about that that looks and says, listen, this makes no sense. And we're able to come and say, you know what the great unifier is? It's this Jesus guy. He's the one that makes us all get along. Can I tell you, I don't, I don't know anything more we need to hear right now in our society and world. We're so split on so many different things. I don't even want to get into a political, economic, whatever situation right now. And the church should look different in the sense of being a church that says, listen, we're not going to let that be a hang-up for us, and yet we have. And we start saying, listen, if you want to be part of my group, you've got to come and agree and adopt my philosophy, my views, my, my beliefs. When in reality, it says, listen, Jesus is for everyone. Why is that? Because Jesus wants you to participate in his work. Jesus wants you to participate in his work. And just like these 12 men, can I tell you, the, the, the only appropriate response is I'm in. I'm in. Jesus chose Judas Iscariot knowing someday he would betray him. Do you understand that? He didn't come and say, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy's not the one that's going to pan out like we thought. Maybe we should let him not be a part of our circle. Jesus still chose those people he knew that would even fail him. Why? Because he believed so much that he wanted people, he wanted you to be part of his work. Jesus has offered that invitation to you. The question is, what have you said? I can't right now. I'm not interested. Later will be better. You have 12 men that dropped everything, got rid of everything, put aside their views, their frustrations, all this sort of stuff to follow Jesus. Let's look at one more. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. It says, one day, Jesus called together his 12, yes, these 12 disciples I've just read to you a minute ago, and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said, take nothing uh, for your journey. He instructed them. Do not take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. 
Wherever you go, stay in the house until you leave town. And if your town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. And so, they, verse 6, they began their circuit of villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. You have Jesus who starts by meeting one disciple, invites them. He ends up inviting 12 disciples, and they begin following him. And now he's sending them out to do work. Jesus tells them. He gives them explicit instructions of what to do. He tells them, I want you to go and do what? I want you to go and cast out demons and heal all diseases. Now listen, I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying that to us, but he's telling us two different things he wants to do. He says, I want you to care about the spiritual and physical well-being of people. Too often churches miss where we just focus on the spiritual and neglect the physical, or we care about the physical and neglect the spiritual. Listen, he says, listen, you have to care for people's needs, but you have to take them to the deeper needs they have. If you ever want to know what the calling of the church and the mission of the church should be doing, what should we be doing? Caring for people's physical and spiritual needs. What should I as a believer be doing? Caring for people's physical and spiritual needs. And they're supposed to go out and depend on God. He tells them, don't take anything with you. Don't take a walking stick. Don't take a, a sack bag of, of clothes, of, of anything, food. I want you to go into a town and find someone and stay there. As a matter of fact, I don't want to abuse that either. Because too often what would happen is you go to a town and you'd take the good graces of one family. And then you'd go to the next one and get what they have and go to the next one. He's like, listen, I don't want you just to mooch off people either. I want you to go to one house, stay put, and stay faithful. Once you stay faithful where you're at, and he sends them out to do all this sort of stuff and do all this work. And what's interesting to me, and I need to point out, is he gives them everything they need to get the job done. He says what? He says, I'll give you all power and authority. Power is the ability to get the job done, and the authority is the right to do it. He gives them the ability to do it and the right to do it. You say that's not a big deal. Have you ever tried to do a job and not had the appropriate tools at hand? I remember a friend asked me to come over and help one time to hang some stuff at their house, some pictures and a TV and stuff. And so I come over to their house, and I come and sit down. Like, All right, let's do this. I say, can you get your drill out so we can drill a hole? And they go, I don't, I don't have one of those. Okay, uh, do you mind getting a screwdriver or stuff like that? I said, sure. And they go and get a screwdriver, and they get one of those little, like, glasses, you know, for glasses, screwdrivers, you know what I mean, to get the tiny toys. And I'm like, what is this? I said, do you have a Phillips? They go, what's a Phillips? And I realized real quickly, I'm like, listen, we can't do anything here. As much as I want to help you and I have the knowledge of how to hang stuff and whatnot, if you don't have the appropriate tools, we're not going to be able to accomplish this. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus is like, hey, uh, I don't know how you're going to do it. You're going to figure out. He sends you out with the ability and the authority to do exactly what you need to do. And he says, I'll give you everything along the way you need. But the truth about this I want you to understand is that Jesus empowers and equips those he invites. If Jesus invites you in his work, he has given you the ability and he's given you the authority to do everything he needs to do. I loved whenever I was a student minister and getting to you know, recruit new small group leaders. I'd go grab them. They'd always say this, man, I just, I'm not good with kids. I'm like, don't worry. <laughs> I promise you, God will give you the word. God will figure out what to do. Often I tell them, like, listen, kids or students are actually pretty easy. Just talk about them. Kids love talking about themselves. Just ask them what's going on in your life. How's, just ask them over and over questions about themselves. And I tell you, adults are kind of the same way too, aren't we? Just talk about them and they'll talk over and over. And it's amazing the people who thought they were the least qualified, when they stepped up to the role, they were the most apt at doing what they did because they just said, God, you're going to have to make this work. God equips and empowers people to do his work. If God has called you, God is going to give you everything you need to accomplish it. God doesn't invite you to his work and say, figure it out. He invites you and says, here's all the tools. Here's all the instructions. Here's everything you need. Now go and do it. Why does God do that? Because Jesus wants you to participate in his work. He wants you to actively be a part of what's going on. There's no excuse. It's not, well, I don't know if God really wants me. Yes, God wants you. Well, I don't know if God really wants me specifically. Yes, God wants everyone. Well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, God has given you the ability. God has given you the power. What's your excuse now? The only appropriate response is what you see in verse 6. What do they do? 
So they begin what? Their circuit of villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. The only appropriate response is this, I'm in. I'm in. And they immediately go and start doing exactly that. Can I ask you this question? Are you? Are you legitimately in? Are you legitimately saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it? Or do you sit here and make excuse after excuse after excuse? Jesus wants you to participate in his work. I find it fitting God has brought us this text right now. My theme for 2021, God's laid on my heart personally, I don't know where else he's going to spread this to, is this, is re-engage for our church. It's a desire and need to re-engage across the board. And can I tell you, it's not just our church, it's culturally going across our country. I've talked to other pastors, and they have people checking out left and right, and kind of, what have you done for me lately kind of mindset. And the need is to jump back in and participate in his work. Jesus does not need you, but he wants you. But can I tell you, I'm not Jesus. And I can't do everything that you can do. The staff can't do everything that you can do. And to mentally and physically check out of the body of Christ is like us walking on a walk or trying to say, we can make it, we can do it on our own. We can't. Listen, we're going to be ineffective and incapable as a church until people step up and take their roles and responsibilities seriously and start participating in the God-given calling God has called you to. And we put a crutch on our side and say, you know what, right now is just a bad time in my life. Listen, there's never a good time. Right now I'm scared of COVID. Listen, if you're stuck at home, there's no excuse. We still need you. Right now, you can more than ever, can I tell you, it would be a blessing for those who are stuck at home to start just calling people and encouraging, saying, hey, how are you doing? Are you alive? Are you well? We love you. Writing letters of encouragement, helping out with some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. We have trouble right now, just being completely honest, getting people just to come greet on Sunday mornings and welcome people. We don't have enough people in our children's ministry to just function on a weekly basis. We would love to start back children's worship so that people could send their younger kids, but we can't get enough people to do it. Our youth is struggling to find people. We're having guests now serving in the sound booth and area because we can't have people step up. Listen, there is no excuse for this. Jesus has called you to participate in his work. The only appropriate response is I'm in. And every time you see in Scripture where people come and Jesus says, listen, I want you to come, they say, well, i got to go bury my dad first. Let me go do this. Let me go take care of some fairies. Jesus is like, listen, then this isn't for you. This isn't for you. God's called you. God wants you. And God has equipped you. The, the only appropriate response is step up. Now, the staff can continue bare bones to run and move forward and do this, but listen, there comes a point the church body has to start doing what God has called to do. 1 Corinthians tells us the church as a body is supposed to come together and serve its role and engage its role. And we're operating without a right arm. We're running without a full functioning left leg. We're trying to breathe without lungs fully grasping what it needs to be. Listen, the church body needs to step up. As I was preparing for this sermon, I looked on my wall. If you ever go on my wall, I encourage you to come. And I was going to bring it, but I didn't want to make a big, awkward statement. But on my wall is a poster from one of the first sermon series I did before I became the pastor here. It was on Nehemiah. It was a call to the church to step up and let's go do this stuff. And I asked people, I don't know if you remember this, I had a poster board up there and it says this. It says, we can do more together. And I said, listen, if you're going to commit to this, you're going to be a part of this. Listen, I'm going to ask you to do this. Come and sign this. Just as a, just a public statement. That sits on my wall as a constant reminder. Like, listen, I know we can get through whatever. I went and looked at it the other day and it saddened me. And I looked like, man, they're no longer here. They're, they're no longer here. They've, they've checked out. It's just, it's just a picture is all it is now. 
with no meaning. And so I'm asking you to re-engage, re-engage in your connection, re-engage in your call to church, re-engage in your function. Listen, the church needs you. If we want to reach our community, we want to start filling this thing up with people who are getting saved, you have to do your part. Because we can't do it on our own. So I pray God stirs in your heart. And if you're waiting for me to come and beg and ask, listen, we are going to die as a church. It takes you stepping up. I would much rather have to slow you down or redirect you than just try to get you going. We need you. Jesus wants you to participate in his work. The only, the only appropriate response is I'm in. Father God, I pray, I pray you've stirred in somebody's heart. God, 2021 is going to be different. You are not going to let your church die. You're not going to let your church cease to function. But God, we need people who are going to step up and be part of what's going on. God, I pray you convict hearts. I pray you convict souls that they would step up and reach out and say, what can I do? I pray they wouldn't even ask. I pray they just start doing it. I pray they not wait for leadership to say, well, I need you to do this. And I just build gaps. They can see their eyes. Hey, you know what? No one's doing this. No one's doing this. I wonder if I could do this. Make themselves available. For those who are at home who feel incapable and valid because they're just stuck at home with COVID, God, there is such a need for them right now to be the hands and body of Christ in such a different way in this season. Whether it's bringing food to people, whether it's calling them, just checking on them, just loving on them, just participating in online classes, whether it's doing, say, hey, is there any grunt work I can do at home? Anything. And yet we've sat on the sideline, God, for so long complaining about COVID and, and griping about nonsense. God, your kingdom has not stopped. This year is going to be different. God, you've stirred in my heart this hunger to re-engage, and I pray others would as well. And we'd come to a point and say, listen, I'm in. And if not, God, I pray that they would take God your word and say, listen, then maybe you're not fit right now to jump in what's going on. Stir them up, God. God, I want to see salvations this year. I want to see people come to the Lord. I want to see people growing to know who you are and what you're all about. I want to see the church that's hungry for you. I want to see a family that's reconnecting you get a community that hungers just to be with you again, God. Hungers to be one another that cares about the people across the aisle, that doesn't let these political and other things in the world stir in their heart and let that be a dividing thing. God, you are the great unifier. Help us to put you back on the pedestal you deserve. God, I'm in. I pray others would join me. I love you, and I know you're a part of what's going on here, and you're going to continue to be a part of what's going moving forward. I just pray others would have the faith and confidence that Simon would say, God, I'm in. Don't let them say it. Let them do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to thank you for being a part of the service and uh, being part of a heavy message. Hope that didn't come across too thick, but sometimes it needs to happen. Um, we're going to worship because it's fitting. It's always fitting. This isn't about guilt trip university 101. This is about worshiping God, and that's what it's all about. And sometimes we forget that. I do want to remind you that we have tithes and offering buckets in, in the back and on your way out and online. And I'll tell you this right now, like this next year, we're, we're, we're trying to gear up to get after it. We're not a ship without a sail here. God has plans and purpose, and can I tell you, it's going to take finances. And we want to start going out with a bang. We want to start just hitting the road going. And as staff right now and, and teams are starting to plan out this year and trying to figure out what we have for next year so we can start actually doing this our next calendar year, listen, it all comes into what, what we actually have available. And, and so I encourage you to be faithful. If you've been holding back, man, one, shame on you, but two, 
You start, start being active giving going on if you believe in the mission that's going on here. If you don't, I'd encourage you to come talk to one of myself to the elders and maybe decide if this church is where you want to be. But if this is where you believe God's called you to be, start actively be partaking in the mission that's going on here. If you're a guest, listen, please feel no guilt or shame in giving. That's not your calling. Uh, you're called to give. If this is where you feel you need to, do it. But members, man, be faithful about it. You guys online, same thing. I encourage you to give online. Would you guys stand and let's just worship God?